بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين Alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah, we continue tonight once again with our Lu'lu'ul Maknoon lessons and we are continuing of course with our discussion of the seerah or on the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and last week we started speaking about the Islam of Abu Dharr al-Ghifari radiallahu an and we spoke about you know the da'wah that is now done jahriya it is now done out in the open and then we spoke about the various tactics and the methods that the Quraysh used against Rasulullah to get him to stop or to try to suppress the da'wah and so forth. Khair. So we're moving on to the next topic in the book which is Ta'adheebu Quraishin lil Muslimin. It's the various ways that the Quraysh punished and tortured the Muslimin. So the Quraysh realized that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama was not going to stop. And as he continued calling to Allah azza wa jal, the Quraysh started to lose hope. And they realized that their methods that they've been using, their tactics that they've been using, trying to suppress and stop this da'wah, was not working. So they came together, the heads of the Quraysh, and they decided that they are now going to resort to, to violence or to force, to aggression and towards their power and their strength that they had in their attack upon Islam and the Muslims. So they sent out instructions to the various tribes, the various tribes and villages to start punishing and harming any person who follows the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ibn Ishaq, rahimahullah, he says that the Quraysh or every tribe then pounced upon the Muslimin and they imprisoned them, they captured them, arrested them and they started to punish them by beating them, by starving them, by withholding all drinks from them and by leaving them outside during the hottest time of the day in Mecca, which we know is a, a desert area, it's extremely hot, they would leave them out in the middle of the day and, and leave them there to suffer. So of course this became a major fitna, a major trial, tribulation or test that shook each person who followed the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Each Muslim. So those who were tested were tested. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved many of them. And indeed, how did he save Rasulullah? How was he protected? What was the reason he was protected from these major tests? Or these punishments, should we say, this, this, this torture, should we say. They, they, they were tortured, the Muslimin. Some of them were protected for various reasons. The Prophet ﷺ was protected from torture because of his am, ammuhu Abu Talib, because of the status of Abu Talib. 
Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam through his uncle Abu Talib. Because we know Abu Talib, he was one of the noblesmen of the Quraysh. One of the honorable people, the big guys of the Quraysh. And for this reason, the people of Mecca, they were not courageous enough to reveal any harm, to come forward with any harm upon the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Ibn al-Qayyim says, this is the hikmah. This is the hikmah of ahkamul hakimin. Who is Allah? Allah is ahkamul hakimin. That the most wise of all judges. That Abu Talib remained upon the deen of his people. If, if Abu Talib had accepted Islam, then they would have turned against him as well. But because Abu Talib remained upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib and the rest of the Quraysh, the Quraysh remained with him and they kept the respect with him, for him. So this was the hikmah of Allah that Abu Talib remained in the state and this then served as a, a protection for who? For Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and for many of the other Muslims. So this was a hikmah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from whoever reflects over it as Ibn al-Qayyim said. The author then mentions a list of some of the main Arabs or Quraysh's who would oppress and transgress against the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and upon the Muslimin. Firstly, he mentions his uncle, who is? Who's the uncle, the main oppressor? Abu Lahab. Right, we've spoken about him. Abu Lahab, he dies when? After the Battle of Badr. Of course, as a disbeliever. Then his cousin, Abu Sufyan ibn al-Harith. Abu Sufyan, the son of al-Harith. This cousin of his, Abu Sufyan, accepts Islam just before the Fathu Makkah, the conquering of Makkah, and he becomes a good Muslim. But initially, he was one of the main enemies. Utbah ibn Rabi'ah and Shaybah ibn Rabi'ah, these two brothers, the sons of Rabi'ah, both of them are killed in the Battle of Badr as disbelievers. Abu Sufyan ibn Harb. Abu Sufyan ibn Harb. He accepts Islam. He accepts Islam in Fathu Makkah as well and he becomes a good Muslim. So easy way to remember, both Abu Sufyan's Two of the Abu Sufyans who were oppressors became Muslimin before the conquering of Makkah. Right? Whereas, Naam. Then we have Uqbah ibn Abi Mu'ayt. He was captured in the Battle of Badr and then he was instructed to be killed by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he was killed as a disbeliever. Then we have Al-Hakam ibn Abi Al-As ibn Umayyah. He eventually also accepts Islam in Fathu Makkah and he becomes a good Muslim. Then we have Al-Nadr ibn Al-Harith. Where did we speak about Nadr? When did we speak about Nadr ibn Al-Harith? We spoke about him last week. Al-Nadr ibn Al-Harith. Last week we mentioned him, one of the open enemies of the Prophet And he was the one who would spread and go tell people the tales of the ancient, the tales of the Persians, the Persian kings, and Rustum, and so forth. And he would say, this is only Asatirul Awaleen. 
This is what he would say about the Quran. It is only the stories of old. It's only stories, it's fables. Asatirul Awaleen. We spoke about this man, An Nadr ibn al Harith. An Nadr ibn Harith is also captured in the Battle of Badr and he's also died, killed as a disbeliever. Abu al Bakhtari ibn al Asim ibn Hisham killed in the Battle of Badr. Abu Jahal. Abu Jahal, we know lots about Abu Jahal. What's Abu Jahal's name? What's his name? He's known as Abu Jahal, the father of ignorance. But his name is Amr. Amr ibn Hisham. Amr, the son of Hisham. Abu Jahal, one of the big enemies. What's he known as? What's his nickname? What's his nickname? Abu Jahal is what? Fir'aun of this ummah. The Prophet sallallahu said, he is the Fir'aun of this ummah. He's also killed in the battle of Badr as a disbeliever. Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, we've spoken about him at length. Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, he dies just before the battle of Badr. Al-As ibn Wa'il, mentioned his name a few times. Al-As ibn Wa'il also dies before the battle of Badr as a disbeliever. Umayyah ibn Khalaf. Umayyah ibn Khalaf. He's killed in the battle of Badr. He's killed in the battle of Badr as well. Al-Aswad ibn al-Muttalib ibn Asad. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallama. Sorry, Ubay ibn Khalaf. Ubay, sorry, I skipped one. I mentioned Umayya ibn Khalaf. Then we've got Ubay ibn Khalaf. Ubay ibn Khalaf. Now Ubay ibn Khalaf, this is one of the, again, major enemies of Islam. And he is the one who was killed by who? The Prophet ﷺ killed him himself. He was one of the only ones who was killed by the Prophet ﷺ, if not the only one who was killed by the Messenger of Allah ﷺ himself. Then we have Al-Aswad ibn Al-Muttalib ibn Asad, dies a disbeliever just before the Battle of Badr. And then we have Al-Aswad ibn Abdi Yahuth, also dies as a disbeliever just before the Battle of Badr. So what we find with all of these enemies are most of them are killed. Most of them were eventually killed by the Muslimin. If, and, and the rest accepted Islam. The rest eventually accepted Islam. And there's very few of them. But majority were eventually killed by the Muslims. The two Abu Sufyans. And, and um, Al-Hakam ibn Abil Aas ibn Umayyah. Al-Hakam ibn Al-Aas also accepted Islam. So the two Abu Sufyans and Al-Hakam ibn Abil Aas ibn Umayyah, these three heads of the Quraysh, these were of the leaders of the Quraysh who were the most oppressive to the Muslimin. Three of them that we know of accepted Islam. The rest died and were killed in the battles, some before the battles, some after the battles and so forth. Um, so these guys that we mentioned, right, they were the most severe in their persistent attacks upon the Muslimin, in harming the Muslimin. And of course, with them is the rest of the Quraysh. With them is the rest of the Quraysh. But these are the main guys. These are the chiefs. These are the, these are the, the harshest of them all. Tayyib, Ibn Ishaq, he says in his book that Abu Jahl, the Fasiq, he would stir up 
relations um, to defend himself. So what he would do with the Quraysh is he would go around and speak to the various people and stir up issues. If he finds this person is a Muslim, he would stir up issues about this person and his relations with the various people and spread rumors about them and so forth. And when he heard a man accepted Islam, and this man was a man who had social importance. He had sharaf, he had honor. He was a person of importance in the community. And he also had mana'ah, which means he had people to protect him. He had a family that would protect him. When Abu Jahl heard about such an individual, he would reprimand this person. And he would scorn them. And he would say to them, You've abandoned the religion of your father whilst he was better than you. And then he would say to them, We will declare you as a fool amongst the community. And we will destroy your reputation amongst the community. With, 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 you know, in your community, you'll be known as a fool and as a, a person with a bad reputation. And we will destroy all of your honor. All of your social importance that you have, it will be destroyed. And if this person was a merchant or a businessman, he would say, By Allah, we will boycott your goods. And we will reduce you to begging. And if this person was a weak individual, who had no people to protect him, no social importance, he was da'if, they would beat him. And incite people against him. This is what Abu Jahl used to do in this community, amongst the Quraysh, amongst the Arabs, and so forth. The author then moves on, and he speaks about some of the various forms of torment or torture that the Quraysh did upon the Muslimin. He brings a hadith in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad and Ibn Majah with a good chain of narration from Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu who said, that the first people to proclaim the Islam in open was seven of them, was seven people. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Bakr, Ammar, and his mother, Sumayyah. Ammar and his mother, Sumayyah. Wasuhayb, and Bilal, and Miqdad. These were the seven people of the first of the Muslimin who were to openly proclaim the Islam. The rest were still in hiding. The, the deen was still in secret. As for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abdullah bin Mas'ud, he says, Allah azza wa protected him. How? Because of his uncle, Abu Talib. As for Abu Bakr, Allah protected him because of his people. He was also an honorable man. So his people stood up and said, anybody touches Abu Bakr, then we are going to avenge him. We will stand up and defend him. As for the rest of these Muslims, then the Quraysh would take them and dress them up in armor, in steel or iron armor, and throw them out into the intense heat in Mecca, expose them to the intense heat. And there was nobody from amongst them except that they did what they wanted them to do, except for Bilal. Except for Bilal. For he did not care what happened to him for the sake, in the, for the sake of Allah. 
nor did he care what his people thought of him. So they took him and they even gave him to the, to the children to play with and to drag and to pull around and to torment and to torture and so forth. So they took him and they paraded him around the streets of Mecca and all he was saying was, Ahadun Ahad, Ahadun Ahad, Ahadun Ahad. That's the hadith in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad, narrated by Abdullah bin Mas'ud. The ta'adhib of Uthman ibn Affan, as for Uthman ibn Affan, Amir al-Mu'mineen radiallahu an, his uncle was Al-Hakam ibn Abi al-As. We mentioned this name. What did I say about Al-Hakam? He was one of the heads of the Quraysh who torment the Muslims. But what happened to him? Al-Hakam, no, Al-Hakam was one of the three who accepted Islam. The two Abu Sufyans and Al-Hakam. So this was the uncle of Uthman ibn Affan. What did he do? He took Uthman ibn Affan and he tied him up. He shackled him with some rope or a belt. And he said to him, do you leave? Are you going to really leave the, 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 the millah of your father, the religion of your father to this deen, this new religion that has come? And then he said to him, by Allah, I will not leave you. I will not let you go until you leave off this religion that you have taken upon. So Uthman radiallahu anhu, he said, Wallahi la ada'uhu abadan wa la ufariquhu. I will never leave this religion by Allah and I will not separate from it. And so when Al-Hakam saw the state of his nephew, that he was sincere and he was firm, he was unwavering, he left him. He left him, he let him be. But even Uthman had to go through a little bit of suffering from his own family. As was Zubair ibn al-Awam. Who is Zubair? We've spoken about Zubair. As Zubair ibn al-Awam. Who is Zubair ibn al-Awam? Yes, one of the first few to accept Islam, yes. As Zubair, the son of Awam, his uncle also took him and rolled him up in a mat. He rolled him up in a mat. And some say they hanged him up from this mat. And he would light a fire underneath such that the mat will become filled with smoke. So Zubair couldn't breathe. And he would say, return to Kufr. Irji' ila al-Kufr. He would say to his nephew, come back to Kufr. Come back to Kufr. And Zubair would say, Zubair would say, radiallahu an, la akfuru abadan. I will never disbelieve. I will never disbelieve. Until eventually his uncle gets fed up and leaves him. Zinnirah, radiallahu anha, from those who were punished and tormented and tortured, was a woman who was called Zinnirah. A lady by the name of Zinnirah, radiallahu anha. She was tortured and was eventually freed. She was a slave woman. She was eventually freed by who? Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. An. And when he freed her, she lost her sight. She lost her eyesight. And so the Quraysh, they said, none has taken away her eyesight except for Allah and Al-Uzza. Their gods. Because she left and because she, she became a Muslim and now she's a free woman, Abu Bakr has freed her, she became blind due to the torture. Abu, they said, Nobody took away her sight except for Allah al Uzza. So she responded and she said, Kadabu wa Allah. She said, They are liars by the house of Allah. 
She said, Allah and Al-Uzza cannot harm, nor can they benefit. This was the Tawheed. There's no harm in benefit. And again, to this day, one of the major issues is people believe that harm and benefit can come from other than Allah. This is why they worship the dead. This is why they worship graves. They believe there's some benefit in it. But look at her belief from the beginning, she said, there's no benefit. No harm, no benefit from Al-Alat and Uzza. And what happened? فَرَدَّ اللَّهُ بَصَرَهَا Allah returned her sight to her. Mus'ab ibn Umair, radiyallahu an, as Mus'ab ibn Umair, then he was known as the most handsome and good-looking youngster in Mecca, from the wealthy and affluent of Mecca. His parents loved him and his mother was extremely wealthy. She dressed him in the best of garments. In the best of clothing, he always looked the best. Everybody knew Mus'ab to be the most good-looking and the finest youngster in Mecca. Rasulullah would say about him, مَا رَأَيْتُ بِمَكَّةَ أَحَدًا أَحْسَنَ لِمَّةً I have never seen anybody in Mecca with better hair than Mus'ab. And I have never seen anybody in Mecca with finer clothing. Nor anyone who enjoyed as many bounties in this world as Mus'ab ibn Umair. But when it reached him that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was calling to Islam, he was inclined and he went to Darul Arqam. He went to Darul Arqam. He sat with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, listened to the ayat, listened to the ayat of Allah azza wa jal, and he accepted Islam. He accepted Islam. And then he left. And he had to conceal his, his religion. He had to conceal his religion. He had to conceal his religion out of fear for his mother. For his mother that that cared for him. And so he only would go and visit the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sirran. In secret he would go and sneak out and visit the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and sit with him and so forth. One day Uthman ibn Talha sees Mus'ab ibn Umair praying salah in secret and he goes and informs his mother. So she takes him and she keeps him home. She keeps him and he cannot leave. And he remained in the state, gets under house arrest, until eventually the Muslims made hijrah to Habasha in the first instance. And upon his return from Hijrah, when he returned, he returned, he returned a different man with tattered clothing, patched up clothing, completely different to the one that was there of affluence and of wealth. And when his mother saw him, she had to give in. And she, had no, she, she had no more say over him. She had no more control over him. So she left off putting pressure on him and she let him be. And the story of Mus'ab ibn Umayr is a, a powerful story. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam eventually sends him to Medina as an ambassador. Go with the message of Islam. Before I come, you go. And you prepare the people for this da'wah and so forth. And he goes and he gives da'wah in Medina. And he goes to each household. And it is said before, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam arrived in Medina, Islam had entered every home in Al-Medina. He fought the battle of Badr. And he fought the battle of Uhud. 
And what happened in Uhud? He was given the raya. He was the flag bearer. So he had to hold up the flag in the battle for the Muslims. And after the attack by Khalid ibn al-Walid, he was struck. But, and his arm was cut off. And he dropped the flag. And he took the left arm and he picked up the flag and he said, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُولٌ Muhammad is only but a messenger. And before him, the messengers have passed away. Are you going to turn on your backs? The meaning of the ayah, after the messenger passes away and so forth. إِلَىٰ آخِرِ الْآيَةِ They chop off his left arm. And he takes his two upper arms and he holds up the flag. Until they throw a spear through him and he dies. When he's buried, or his kafan is done, the Prophet sallallahu tears in his eyes, looks at Mus'ab ibn Umair, and he praises him. Because his body was unable to be covered due to what he owned of one cloth only. He had nothing left to cover his body. So if they covered his head, his feet would be open. And if they pulled the cloth over his feet, his head would be open. So they covered his head, and they put some grass on his feet to cover it, and this is how he was buried. And he was one of the ones who, this is what some of the difficulty that he, he had to experience with his mother and so forth. Also what happened in the battle of Uhud, when they killed Mus'ab, they thought they had killed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, because Mus'ab resembled him. He looked like the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Nahdiya and her daughter, there was another woman by the name of Nahdiya and her daughter who were slave women. And one day Abu Bakr anhu passed by these two women and they were grinding some flour for, her, for their master. And he offers to free them and he eventually frees them. Right? But again, they were also punished and tortured by this master of, of theirs. Sa'id ibn Zayd. Sa'id ibn Zayd radiyallahu an Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu an before accepted Islam used to tie him up he used to tie him up and punish him because of his Islam and this hadith is also in Bukhari in Bukhari narrated by Sa'id ibn Zayd where he said Wallahi I saw myself in Umar who tied myself up who tied me up because of my Islam and this was before the Islam of Umar so Umar even punished this man and tortured this man, Sa'id ibn Zayd. Then we have Jariya Bani Mu'ammal. A Jariya from Bani Mu'ammal. And, her, and <coughs> she was also punished by Umar ibn Khattab whilst he was upon shirk. And he did this until she became tired. He would torture her to the point where he became exhausted. So he said to her, I will leave you for now. But the only reason I'm leaving you is because of my exhaustion. Because of my tiredness. And then she would say to Umar, that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done to you. But in the meantime, enduring all of the punishment, all of the torture due to the Islam. Bilal ibn Rabah. Bilal, radiallahu anhu. What did they do to Bilal? Umayya ibn Khalaf, one of the heads of the Quraysh. He would take Bilal out during the time of Zuhr when the sun was at its peak. The heat was sweltering and he would throw him out on his back in the open land of Mecca, in the open area, in the desert. 
And then he would instruct that a huge rock be placed on his chest. And he would say to him, you will stay like this until you die. Or you disbelieve in Muhammad. And you believe in Allah and Al-Uzza. And all Bilal would say was, is Ahadun Ahad. Ahad means one. Ahadun Ahad. Ahadun Ahad. So Bilal radiallahu anhu, why did he say Ahadun Ahad? Yes, his Tawheed was there. But also this was the most annoying thing he knew of that would annoy them. This was the one thing that he knew would annoy them to the max. They worshipped various gods. They believed in Allah, but they worshipped Allah and Al-Uzza and all of these others. They had Na'ila and they had Isaf and all these other idols in Makkah. So the one thing he knew will annoy them the most was what? Ahadun Ahad. And this is why Bilal is narrated to have said, if I knew of anything else that would have annoyed them anything further, I would have said it. But the one thing I knew that would annoy them to the max was Ahadun Ahad. Ahadun Ahad. And this is all he said. Whilst laying in the heat on his back with a rock placed on his chest. And this, was how, this is what he would say. Then we have the family of Yasir. The family of Yasir. Ammar ibn Yasir, the Sahabi radiallahu an, his mother and his father radiallahu anhum, the family of Yasir. They were of the poor people in Mecca who were punished because of the Islam. And Banu Makhzum and the head of them was again Abu Jahl doing the punishment. Abu Jahl. He takes them out again to an open area in Mecca when the heat is at its peak. And you can understand there's no shade. It's open. It's desert. The heat is it's just after the Lord. This is what generally the time they would do it. And they would put them out into the sun. And this was already a punishment. Just to be in that heat. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam passed by them one day. Whilst they were, they were being tortured and he said, Sabran ala yasir. Sabran ala yasir. Patience, O family of yasir. Patience, O family of yasir. Fa'inna mawidakumul jannah. For your abode is jannah. Your promise is jannah. So Yasir passes away due to the punishment, due to the torture. And his wife, the mother of Ammar, is who? Sumayya. Sumayya. Abu Jahl, la'anahullah, Abu Jahl, he takes a harba, which is something like a dagger. You know that they put on the end of a, on, of, end of a gun, those, those long, it looks like a dagger that they attached to the end of their weapons, he took one of this and he put it up her private parts. Up her private part and she died. And she was the first shahida in Islam. The first martyr in Islam was a woman by the name of Sumayyah, the mother of Yasir. The mother of, sorry, the mother of Ammar, the wife of Yasir. The mother of Ammar. So both his parents are killed. And as for Ammar, he is still with Abu Jahl. And Abu Jahl punishes him severely, at times burning him, at times drowning him. And continuously he, he, he punishes Ammar until it comes to a point where he's not at his senses. And he curses the Prophet wasallam, And he mentions the gods of the Quraysh and he mentions them in good terms and he praises them. 
Allah and Uzza and so forth. So they let him go. And he comes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa weeping. And so Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa wipes his eyes and says to him, What happened? What's the problem? What happened to you, our Ammar? And he says, evil, ya Rasulullah, evil. They never left me until I cursed you. And I mentioned their gods with goodness. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said to him, كَيْفَ تَجِدُ قَلْبَكَ How is your heart? How do you find your heart to be? What's this, the, the state of your heart? So he said, مُطْمَئِنَّا بِالْإِيمَانِ It's safe, secure and firm with iman. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, if they come back, you go back. Meaning whatever happens, you can do the same thing. And then Allah Azza wa revealed, مَنْ كَفَرَ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ إِيمَانِهِ إِلَّا مَنْ أُكْرِهَا وَقَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنٌ بِالْإِيمَانِ Allah says, whomsoever disbelieves in Allah, after his iman, after his belief, except that his heart, or except that he was forced, he was coerced to do this, whilst his heart is secure with iman. What does this ayah tell us? That this is not a disbeliever. This person is not a disbeliever because Allah said, إِلَّا مَنْ أُكْرِهَا Except for those who are forced. They are not part of the, the people of kufr. So Allah made an, ex- an exception for Ammar and all those similar to Ammar. And if somebody puts a gun to your head and says, leave the religion of Islam and you say, I leave the religion of Islam, but your heart is still full of faith, then you are still a believer because you were coerced to do this. Your intention was to protect your life. And so this is permissible according to this ayah as is because it happened to Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu an. Ibn Kathir in his tafsir of this ayah, he mentions this point and he says that the ulama are agreed upon the fact that it's permissible for a person who's forced or coerced to disbelieve that it is permissible for him to do that in terms of or for the interest of self-preservation. But it's also permissible for him to, to desist, not to give in. Like who? Like Bilal. For example, like Bilal, radiallahu anh, he refused. And he, he, he endured all of the punishments until they placed that rock on his head, on his chest, in the sweltering heat. And all he said was, Ahadun Ahad. Ahadun Ahad. And so Ibn Kathir, he says, I do not know of any word that was more annoying to them than what he said. Radiallahu And then he mentions also Habib ibn Zayd al-Ansari. Habib ibn Zayd al-Ansari. When Musaylama al-Kathab, Musaylama the liar, the one who claimed to be a prophet, he said to him, do you bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah? So he said yes. And he said to him, do you, do, do you bear witness that I am the messenger of Allah? So he said, La asma', I can't hear. I can't hear. And again, this is something similar to Bilal. He said that which would annoy Musaylama to the max. Do you bear witness Muhammadism? Yes. Do you bear witness that I'm the messenger of Allah? Sorry, what was that? And this is how he responded to Musaylama. Until Musaylama b- broke him down and cut off his limb for limb until he died in the state. Habib ibn Zayd, radiallahu anhu. And then he said, the best thing for the Muslim to do is to desist. That's the higher level. You endure that punishment and you show that firm faith and you get killed for this. And you get shahada. Immediately you're shaheed on the highest level. 
And your reward and expiation of sin is unmatched, like some of the Sahaba endured. And then he mentions the story of Abdullah ibn Hudhafa in his tafsir of this ayah. Abdullah ibn Hudhafa, Sahabi, radiallahu anhu, he was sent by Umar ibn Khattab in the leadership of Umar to Rome. And he goes to the king of Rome, who was Heraclius. Heraclius. And what happens there is, eventually they are captured with some Muslims, and the Muslims are tortured one by one. For what reason? Because they're Muslim. Give up your Islam. And he did many things to them. With Abdullah ibn Hudhafa, he sent prostitutes to his cell. Abu Hudhafa would run around to avoid the woman until the woman became tired of him and left. He would starve him and then give him pork and wine to consume. And he refused to eat and drink. And when he asked him why, he said, in actual fact, it's permissible for me to eat this and drink this in this condition that I'm in. Because he's starving. That's necessity. But he says, I refuse to eat and drink so that you do not have, so that you, have, you don't gloat. For that reason, just, no, I'm not going to appease you that you do not gloat. Abdullah ibn Hudhafa is taken out, put on a cross, and arrows are shot, shot at his body to make him scared. He doesn't flinch. A huge uh, container with boiling water is brought out. And they throw a Muslim inside and he is boiled to death such that only his bones remain in this, in this huge container. And Abdullah ibn Hudhafa starts to cry. He starts to weep. And Heraclius comes forth and laughs and smiles because he's finally won. He finally broke him. And he says, what makes you weep? And he says, I wish I had more than one body and soul to sacrifice in the path of Allah. I wish I had as many hairs on my body that I could do, but I only have one opportunity to give this for the sake of Allah. And Heraclius eventually gives up. How do you break this? How do you break such a man? The reality is his iman is so firm that he's unbreakable. You can kill him, break his body, but he knows his reward is with Allah Azawajal. So he says to him, kiss me on my head and you can go. You're free. And Abdullah ibn Hudhafa says, if I kiss you on your head, you free me and all of the Muslim prisoners. And he frees them all. And he kisses him on his head. And all, everybody's freed. When they return back to Medina, Umar ibn Khattab says, every person should kiss the head of Abdullah ibn Hudhafa. And he's the first person to stand up and kiss his head. That's what Ibn Kathir mentioned in his tafsir of that, uh, that verse. But this was from the punishment of who? Ammar ibn Yasir. After his parents were killed, he eventually uttered these words of kufr. But he reached the point of, of where he's out. His sanity was gone. His sense was gone out of the torture and punishment that he received. But his heart was filled with iman. Abu Fukayha was also taken out midday in the, in the heat of the sun. Tied and shackled with chains. And a, 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 a rock is placed on his back until he loses consciousness. And he stayed like this and he suffered until eventually they managed to leave and make hijrah as well. So Abu Fukayha eventually makes hijrah. He survives. Khalid ibn Sa'id ibn al-As. 
Khalid ibn Sa'id ibn al-As. He's praying one day in one of the regions in Mecca and Abu Uhayha is informed of this and he calls him out and he says to him, leave the religion of Muhammad. And Khalid says, I will never leave the region of Muhammad until I die. So Abu Uhayha starts to beat him with a shield or some armor until it cuts a part of his head. And then he's locked up, imprisoned, starved, not given anything to eat or drink. And he remains like this for about three or four days without any water, without any eating. And eventually he, ma- he manages to escape. But he went through days of torture. He also eventually makes hijrah to Habasha. Suhaib al-Rumi was also punished. Suhaib was one of the poor people of Mecca. He came from Rome, was a Roman. He was also punished. Sa'id, or Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas, famous companion. Speak about him a lot. Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas. Right? One of the earliest, one of the first to come to Islam. And also the first one to spill blood in the path of Allah. We mentioned the story. Right? We, out of defense. When they were making salah, they got attacked. They defended themselves and he was the first one to spill blood in the path of Allah. What happened to him? What happened to Sa'ad? Sa'ad wasn't necessarily physically tortured. But he was trialed through his mother. His mother took an oath that she will not speak to him again until he leaves, he leaves the religion of Muhammad. And so she said to him as well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructs you in the Quran to obey your parents. You said that Allah tells you in the Quran, because remember they give da'wah to their parents, they say this is what the Quran has taught us, they recite verses of the Quran. So one of the things she picks up on and she tells him is, Allah has mentioned that you have to obey your parents. So you should obey me. I'm saying leave this religion. And you should leave this religion And if you do not leave this religion, she says, I will not eat and drink again until the day I die. And people will then know you as the one who killed his mother. This is what, this is how he was tested. So she took an oath and said, I'm not going to speak to you again. I will not eat and drink again until I die and you will then be known as the one who killed his mother. So Sa'ad said, yeah, oh my mother, do not do this. Because I'm not going to leave this religion. I can't leave this religion. So three days went by and she did not eat or drink a single thing until she collapses and faints, falls unconscious through weakness. When this happened, Sa'ad came and he said, Oh my mother, by Allah, I cannot leave this religion and I'm not going to leave this religion. If you want to, then eat. And if you want to, then don't eat. But, I cannot leave this religion. And when she saw this, what did she do? She said to eat. She realized, either I'm going to starve myself to death and suffer, but he's clearly not going, he's not, he's not going to budge. He's firm upon this, he's not going to budge. 
And so she left him. That was his test. It was a major test. You can think three days, you see your mother suffering. Eventually she's out. And when she comes around, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Okay, look, I'll give in. You know, you make sure you look after your health, you're my mother. Maybe one day when you die, I'll become Muslim. People will think of various things to do. What did Sa'ad do? My mother, don't do this. If you want to eat and eat, if you don't want to eat, don't eat. But I can't leave this religion. He made it very clear and very firm with her until she came to a point where she realized unwavering faith. I might as well eat. Because whether I live or die, he's still going to be a Muslim. So there's no point I kill myself. It is not going to change him. And then Allah Azza wa Jalla revealed ayat regarding this and he said, وَوَصَّيْنَا الْإِنسَانَ بِوَالِدَيْهِ حُسْنًا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has um, encouraged insan to be good to their parents. وَإِنْ جَاهَدَاكَ لِتُشْرِكَ بِي And if they endeavor to make you commit shirk with me, to associate partners with me, مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِي عِلْمٍ That of which you have no knowledge, فَلَا تُطِعْهُمَا Then do not obey them. Then do not obey them. So your parents, you have to be good to them. Right? You have to always treat them with goodness. But if they encourage you to haram or to shirk, then what does Allah say? فَلَا تُطِعْهُمَا And this is what Sa'ad did. This is what Sa'ad did. Right? This is exactly what Sa'ad did. He didn't obey her. Knowing that his iman comes first. And Allah also said, وَصَاحِبَهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفًا And accompany them in this world with appropriate kindness, with goodness. So as much as you don't obey them in, in, the, in, the, in haram, or in shirk, and kufr, and so forth, you still have to show kindness to them. Then we have Khabbab ibn al-Arat. Khabbab ibn al-Arat. He was one of the most, one of the sahaba who was punished the most severely. Khabbab, Khabbab. Again, he was from the poor people of Mecca. And he said about himself, I saw myself one day, I was taken, and a fire was kindled for me. And I was dragged into this fire. And a man then came and placed his foot on my chest, as if to keep me down. And one day he removed his clothing, and they saw on his back, Leprosy like spots, spots that looks like leprosy, but probably from the burns, how his back was burnt. In another narration he said that this fire was kindled for me and it was extinguished. The fire was extinguished from the fats that was on my back. So as his back burnt and the fat, you know, the skin would have melted away and all that, that eventually extinguished the fire. It put the fire out. Hence he was laying on a bed of coals. This was who? Khabbab ibn Arat. In the hadith in tirmidhi uh, from Haritha ibn Mudarrib, he says, I went to Khabbab and we saw some cauterized and branded, seven branded cauterized marks on his stomach. Which means, you know how they cauterize, they take something hot like an iron rod and they put it on him. He saw seven of this on his stomach. So his back had the coals and the fire, his stomach his, his front, his torso had these marks of branding and cauterization on it. And he said, I do not know of any sahabi that faced a bala more than what he faced. Right? In fact, this is what he said. Khabab says, I know of none of the sahaba of the Prophet 
that I faced more bala than myself, more taste than myself. And you can only imagine the, the type of torture that he had to go through. When Ali ibn Abi Talib passed by his qabr one day, after Sifin, the battle of Sifin, he said, May Allah have mercy on Khabbab. May Allah have mercy on Khabbab. He accepted Islam willingly. And he made hijrah obediently. And he lived as a mujahid. He lived as a mujahid. And he was tested with his body, within his body, in various ways. But Allah, nothing is lost with Allah. No reward is lost with, with Allah. This is what Ali said when he passed by the qabr of Khabbab. That with all that torture and, and, and struggling and, and difficulty, the reward is never lost with Allah Azza wa Jal. So the list of those who were punished is very long. And this is some of the people that we mentioned. This is a, sm- a small list of the others, and, or, or of some of them rather, that were tortured. And it's, also, it's a painful list. Something painful just to read and to imagine. We cannot even imagine it in reality. We can't, we can't even ima- really imagine what these people went through of torture and of punishment and so forth. Only because of their deen. That's it. It wasn't racial, it wasn't anything. It was purely because they were Muslimin. Because of this, people were sent out to harm them and to oppose them. So they, they endured, for the sake of Allah, all types of punishment, from beatings to various types of wounds, to burning, to drowning, to starvation, hunger, whether it was from food or drinks, lack of sleep, they were kept up awake on end, thrown out into the desert sun, given this armor of iron. Imagine you're wearing a steel or iron vest and you're laying in the sun where it's 40 to 50 degrees in the open. What happens to your skin? It burns. It, that in itself was a major torture that the Quraysh would do upon the Muslimin. So this is what they had to endure for the path, in the path of Allah. All of this violence and hardship and, and, and various types of abuse. And many a times they preferred these things which were disliked to them, obviously. But they preferred it due to the pleasure of Allah. They knew whatever they endure, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only becomes more and more pleased with them. And His mercy only befalls them. And the rewards in the akhirah is multiplied. They will go there sinless, bi'idhnillah, due to this. So they, they understood this. So the Quraysh, in reality, they never found any success in this. They tried, they harmed people, they tortured people, they punished people, but they found no success with the Sahaba. They found no success with the Sahaba in, in, in turning them away from their deen, because that was the, the end goal. The goal was not to kill them. The goal was not anything but to turn them away from the religion. Because this is, what it all, this is what it was all about. Right? So why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put them through this? Why has Allah tested them like this? What can the reason be that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested these men like this? These families like this, this woman, Zinnira, Nahdiya, Sumayya, and others. What was the reason Allah tested these people like this? The simple answer is to see who was the truthful from the liars. This is the, the, the difference between or how does Allah distinguish the sadiq from the kadib, the truthful one from the liar is through the tests of Allah. 
through the tests of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what it was, this is basically the ultimate reason Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala established who the sadiqeen truly are, who the real truthful slaves of his are, and who the kadibin were, who the stubborn and arrogant were. So that the scale is, that Allah distinguishes is by testing, by trials and tribulations. And this is how he found them to be the most truthful of the Muslims. The author then mentions the next point, which is Abi Bakr How Abu Bakr as-Siddiq freed many of the of the poor and the needy. And this was known. This was the character of Abu Bakr, that he was a person who helped others. He helped the poor, the needy, the destitute. He honored his guests, and he assisted all of those calamity-restricted people or calamity uh, uh, befallen people who truly needed the help, he was always there to help. He was the one who never fell into major sin in Jahiliyyah, loved by his people, and he had the softest heart, softest of hearts, and he was merciful to the poor and the needy. And he gave many, if not most of his wealth, away to assist others and to purchase slaves, to free them, to free, to free them for the sake of Allah. And in the path of Allah. So Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, he freed many slaves. From amongst them was Bilal ibn Rabah. The famous incident right, of Bilal. We, we spoke about how he was punished by Umayyah ibn Khalaf. Where he's punishing Bilal. And Abu Bakr says to him, Don't you fear Allah regarding this man? Don't you fear Allah regarding this poor man? Up until when? How long is this going to go on? And Umayyah says to him, you are the one who corrupted him in the first place. How so? You gave him da'wah. You corrupted him in the first place. So you have to, you have to see what we're going to do. You're right? So Abu Bakr says to him, I have a, a slave that's stronger than Bilal. Let's substitute. I'll give him to you and you give him. Give me Bilal. So he can serve you, he can work for you, and give Bilal to me. That's in one narration. And then Umayyah agrees to this and he gives him to him. In another narration, um, <coughs> in the Musannaf of Ibn Abi Shayba, it says that Abu Bakr purchased him for five awaq. One awaq is equal to 40 dirhams. One awaq is equal to um, 40 dirhams. Right? So you purchased him for five. Five times 40. Right? So how much? 200 dirhams. So Umayyah says to him, had you given me one, I would have accepted it. As if to spite him, you know, had you given me one, I would have accepted for this man, for Bilal. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said to him, had you rejected my offer of five, I would have given you over a hundred awaq for this man. Not just five, I would have gone up to over a hundred until you eventually gave in and, and accepted my offer to purchase Bilal. So he purchases Bilal, um, radiallahu an, and of course he frees him. He of course frees, frees him for the sake of Allah. Uh, in Sahih Bukhari, Umar ibn Khattab, radiallahu anhu, said, Abu Bakr is our Sayyid, Sayyiduna 
And he freed our other Sayyid, who is Bilal. He is our Sayyid, he is our leader, and he freed our Sayyid, our other leader, who is Bilal. He also freed Abu Fukayha. Abu Fukayha, we spoke about him being tortured. Abu Bakr also freed this man, Abu Fukayha. He also freed Amir ibn Fuhayrah. He freed him as well. Zinira, the woman who was punished, he purchased her and he freed her. The Jariah from Bani Mu'ammil, we spoke about her, the one who was punished by Umar ibn Khattab. He purchased her and he freed her for the sake of Allah. The woman Nahdiya and her daughter purchased and he freed her for the sake of Allah. And we know that he did this only for the sake of Allah. He spent money on them, purchased them and gave them freedom for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a narration that Abu Quhafa, who is his father, that he is the son of Abu Quhafa, says to Abu Bakr, Oh my son, I see you purchasing all of these people, these weak slaves. If only you purchased, or you are doing what you are doing, with people who are powerful, strong men who could protect you, then this would be better. Right? Instead of purchasing all these women and these poor people and these weak individuals, purchase some strong slaves, strong men, and they can be with you and protect you. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he says, Oh my father, I only want what I want. And that is the pleasure of Allah Azza wa Jal. I'm not looking for anything, not protection or anything. I'm doing this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah Azza wa Jal revealed ayat regarding this. And as for he who gives and he fears Allah. And he believes in the best of rewards. يُسْرَى We will ease him towards ease. This is Abu Bakr. As for the one who withholds. And he thinks that he is free of need. This is the flip side now, right? And he disbelieves or he denies the best of rewards. We will ease him towards difficulty. And what will his wealth avail him when he falls? What's his wealth going to benefit him when he falls down? Indeed, it's upon us. Guidance is upon us. It's incumbent upon us. And to us belongs the akhirah and the first life. So I warn you of a fire that is blazing. None will burn in it except the most miserable or wretched person. Who disbelieved or denied and turned away. And the atqa, the righteous one, the one who fears Allah, he will be he will avoid this fire. He will be saved from this fire. The one who gave from his wealth. The one who spent his wealth. To purify himself. He spent in the path of Allah and he purified himself. And not giving for anyone. When they done him in a favor. To be rewarded. It wasn't done out of a favor or to be rewarded or for anything. Except that he sought the face of his Rabb, the Most High, and he is going to be satisfied. 
He is going to be pleased. And these ayat in Surah Al-Layl, in Juz Amma, we all know these ayat. Many of the Mufassirin, in fact, some say, all of the Mufassirin say this was revealed to who, about who? Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, radiyallahu anhu, who would give of his wealth to purify himself, not for anybody, not for his reward, not for return of a favor, except ibtigha'a wajhi rabbil a'la. That he sought the countenance of his Rabb, the face of his Rabb, al-a'la. Um, and it's even a narration where one of the leaders of the Thaqif tribe, he's talking to the Prophet one day, and this is uh, uh, before the pledge of, of Aqaba thing took place, or Hudaybiyah it could be, and Abu Bakr speaks out against him. And like puts him on his place because he's trying to discuss with the Prophet And he says, who is this man who said this about me? And they say, it's Abu Bakr who said this about you. So this, this man's a leader of his qawm, of his people. He said, were it not for the favor that you bestowed upon me, that you did for me, which I did not compensate for, I would have retorted against you. I would have taken some revenge against you. What does this prove? Even the leaders... Even big men were indebted to who? To Abu Bakr spending. To him doing things for people and, and helping people and doing things which they could not compensate for. So what about the poor and the needy? Subhanallah. Tayyip. Um, the author then moves on and he mentions the first person to recite the Quran out loud. Who was it? Who was the first person to recite the Qur'an out loud? The first person, now again, this is now after everybody's being tried and tested, people are scared and, and weary. The Muslims, they were still eager, their fervor, their zeal was still there to spread this da'wah. However, nobody went out and openly recited the Qur'an. Everything, they, their worship was still done, kind of secretly. The first person to recite the Qur'an was Abdullah bin Mas'ud, radiallahu anhu. Abdullah bin Mas'ud, he was a timid man, thin individual, but on the scales of Qiyamah, he is heavier than the Mount Uhud. He's heavier than Mount Uhud. And as we know the story where he was, um, trying to get a, a tree, something from the tree, I think it was a, a miswak or something, from the, the miswak tree, the Iraq tree. And what happened was is, the Sahaba who was sitting there, the wind blew and his legs were exposed and they laughed. The Prophet ﷺ said, what causes you to laugh? Why are you laughing? And they said, Min because his, 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 his calves, his, his legs, his shins are so thin. He's got thin legs. So the Prophet ﷺ said, nafsi bi yadi, By the one in whose hand is my soul, fil mizani min uhudin. They will be heavier on the scale than Mount Uhud. That's the, the legs of who? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. From the first of people to accept Islam, it is said that he was the sixth person to accept Islam in, 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 in a um, narration. So what happened was is, he went out to the Kaaba. The Quraysh was sitting in the vicinity of the Kaaba and he goes to the Maqam, Maqam Ibrahim, and he starts to recite the Quran. This is in the morning, in the Duha period, in the morning time. And he recites. What does he recite? He raises his voice and he, say, he recites, Ar-Rahman, Allama al-Qur'an. He recites the surah. 
Until people start looking around. The Quraysh are in shock. What's happening? Who is this? And they say, no, this is a man, Abdullah, he's reciting what has been revealed to Muhammad. So what did they do? They immediately went and they assaulted him. They started to beat him until he reached whatever ayah he reached. And then he went back to some of the Sahaba. And the Sahaba had warned him. They said, don't do this, we fear for you. And after his face was now, you know, beaten and bruised and bleeding, they said, this is what we feared for you. This is what we were fearful of. This is why we said, don't do this. So he said, Wallahi, the enemies of Allah are more despised to me now than ever before. They are nothing to me than ever before. And tomorrow I will go and do the same thing. If you want, I will go do the same thing tomorrow. So they said, no, that's enough. They've heard what they don't want to hear. They've heard what they dislike. You've caused them to hear it already. Your, your job is done. Also regarding this man, Hadith in Bukhari says, uh, Hudayfa ibn Yaman said, "Ma a'rifu ahadan aqrabu samtan wa hadyan wa dallan bin Nabi Sallam min ibn Ummi Maktum. Oh, sorry, min ibn Ummi Abd. Min ibn Ummi Abd. There is nobody who is closer to the Prophet Sallam in his conduct, in his guidance, in his character than ibn Ummi Abd, who was Abdullah ibn Masud radiyallahu an. So he was the first one in this time of torture, persecution, and punishment. He went out and he recited the Quran in open. And remember what this does is." It angers the Quraysh, but it also gives the other Muslims courage. It gives them courage as well to see we can do this. We shouldn't be scared of them and so forth. So some of the, you know, this what happened. All of these various types of punishment happened and so forth. Until what happened was is some of the Sahaba went and complained to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. When this started to go on for too long, Khabbab, the one who was burnt, Put on the coals, branded. This one who we said was one of the, the who suffered the most. Khabbab, he goes to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and he seeks a recourse, you know, and he says to him, uh, This is what they are doing. These are some of the examples of what the people are going through. Is there nothing that, that, that you can do for us? And he says in the hadith, So one day the Prophet is sitting in the shade of the Kaaba. On a cloth, and he says to him, Shall you not help us and find a way to help us, seek some help for us, seek some dua for us? You know? So the Prophet said, There was a man from the people before you. There were men from the people before you. A hole was dug for him, a ditch was dug for him, and he was thrown into this hole. And then a saw was brought which was placed on top of his head, and he was cut into two. He was cut into two, split, and this never turned him away from his religion. And a comb was brought from iron, and he would be combed with iron until his, the flesh would be taken off of the bone and the nerves. But this never turned him away from his religion. So he said, by Allah, a time will come when this religion will prevail. It will prevail until a traveler can travel from Sana'a to Hadramaut, which is two cities in Yemen, which is quite far apart, and he will not fear anyone but Allah. He will not have anything to worry about but Allah. Or a wolf as regards his sheep, but you people are hasty. But you people are, are hasty. After all of the suffering, this is how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam responded. 
He didn't say, خلاص, I'm going to make things easy for you. He said, this is how people before you suffered. This is what some people had to go through. And it never turned them away from the religion. As if to say, sabr, sabr. But a time is going to come. Where this religion will prevail. Don't be hasty. So he basically painted out the reality of the mas'ala for them. The reality of the issue is, how to have sabr. If you die, you go to Jannah. If you persevere and, and you have sabr, you're going to be victorious. With, victory, with patience comes victory. With patience comes victory. With hardship comes ease. So the Prophet didn't give him an easy way out necessarily, but rather he laid it down for them as if to say this is the reality of the issue. And this is why the Sahaba were on an untouchable level. Because what they endured for Islam, nobody endures. And what they laid down and, and, and made the foundation of this deen, is, the foundation of this deen was laid by the efforts of the Sahaba. And the Prophet of course. And this is why they are untouchable. In terms of not saying they were perfect, no, they had the good and bad, mostly good obviously, but their ikhlas, their sincerity, their suffering and their striving was unmatched. And this is why radiallahu anhum an. Allah is pleased with them and they are well pleased with him. This is the status of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, ajma'een. So, we'll stop here, inshallah ta'ala. Next week, we move on to the next chapter, which is some of the mockery that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had to endure from the mushrikeen. Uh, inshallah ta'ala wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.